0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11, that's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, would you listen to God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the a day when he was taken up after So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: All right. Thanks. Luke and thanks Colton. Um, There's an actor in Wisconsin and he was in Wisconsin. He decided he was going to move to Hollywood to try to be a movie star. and He never quite became a a big movie star but he did become quite famous. Uh, According to one survey in the mid-90s, 75% of Americans could identify him compared to only 25% of Americans who were able to identify Vice President Al Gore. And and if any of you guys were keeping up with the news in the mid-90s, you probably know who Brian is. Now, he didn't go by his first name. Uh, The name he went by was Cato, a little hint. His last name was Kalen. So if you follow the O.J. Simpson trial, Cato Kalen was one of the main witnesses of this whole era. And this was such a big deal. I mean, this was in the news every day, all day. I don't even know if there's, there's much to compare it to. But it just kind of took over, and he was the star witness. He was up, and he was giving his testimony about what he saw. Now, and as a witness, he's, he's neither the, the defense or prosecution. He's just there saying what he saw, saying what was going on. He didn't have all the answers. All he knew was what he knew, and, and that's, what, that's all a witness needs to do. It's just what, do you, what did you know, what did you see, what did you hear, and then share that. Now, it's interesting in this passage, that the, the term that Jesus used when he's uh, calling his apostles to their mission, he says, you will be my witnesses. And, and so the goal of the apostles was to shine a spotlight on Jesus. They were to be witnesses of Jesus, what they had seen, what they had heard of him. And they weren't necessarily to grow big churches or to start a bunch of churches. The, the, the task at hand was was to be a witness of the church, a witness of Jesus. And though a byproduct of that might be starting churches and growing churches and all that. But the goal of this church should not be to grow. The goal of this church should be to be a witness of Jesus Christ. The goal of marriage is not to be happy. We see in Ephesians 5, the whole idea of marriage is to be a picture of the gospel, of what Jesus has done. The goal of parenting is not to have children who are well-behaved or happy. The goal of parenting is to be a witness of Jesus in such a way that they might put their hope in Jesus. So we, we have a lot in our text today. You know, we're, we're starting Acts, and there's a, there's a lot to be covered. Um, and, and it would be possible to do a whole summer series on these 11 verses we just we just went through. Uh, but I'm going to try to knock it all out today. And I'm going to leave a lot on the cutting room floor, so... When I get to the end, you might think, huh, I wonder why I didn't hit on this more. Just like, I would love to. But uh, I think in order to cover everything we want to cover this summer, uh, this is what we're going to need to do. And also, here's the plan. This summer, we're going to teach through uh, Acts 1 through probably the end of 7. And then we're going to hit pause. And then we're probably going to pick it back up again in January. So this is kind of an intro to Acts. And then we'll pick it up again probably in the spring. But, but here are my four points for today for these first 11 verses. Uh, first, witnessing is the mission. Two, kingdom is the context. Three, the Holy Spirit is the power. And four, the ascension and return of Jesus is our window of time. So first, witnessing is the mission. It's pretty clear. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Verse 8 says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus wanted his apostles to be witnesses, not salesmen or CEOs. They were simply to, to tell others what they saw and heard from Jesus. Now, one, one picture in the scriptures where we get of this idea of witnessing is in John 9. You don't have to turn, they'll give a summary of it. But uh, the Pharisees are getting upset because Jesus is beginning to draw a crowd. Uh, and they think Jesus is a bad guy. It would be like if, if somebody rose up in Starkville and we thought they were teaching bad theology. We'd be like, stay away from these folks. If it became real popular, there would just be a thing. Well, this is what was going on with the Pharisees. They felt like all the people were kind of going after Jesus. They thought Jesus was bad news. He was. They thought he was committing blasphemy. And so they didn't like Jesus. And then there's this all this talk that starts about this man who was born blind received his sight after Jesus healed him. And so the Jewish council calls in uh, the, the parents, and they are, they're they're kind of interrogating them. And the parents are like, yeah, look, he was born blind. This is just what happened. But they're like, look, you don't to talk to us. He's of age. Go talk to him. And so they, they bring in the man born blind. Uh, he comes in and stands before the council. And, and the Pharisees are like, look, I don't know what y'all are doing, but this man is a sinner. He blasphemes. He didn't heal you. Tell me what's going on. And so to that, the blind man says this. He says, look, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind, and now I see. He was just a witness to what happened. He didn't know all the ins and outs of what Jesus was doing. He just knows that when he he used to be blind, he was born blind, and now he could see. And when we think about witnessing, we might tend to think about evangelism. And and that makes sense. Um, But I, I think they might not necessarily be the same thing. I think witnessing is probably a bit more personal. Uh, And I might be splitting hairs here, but evangelism is making the gospel clear. God is holy. Man is sinful. Therefore, there's this huge gap between them, right? Judgment's coming on man from a holy God. Jesus paid the penalty in his life, death, and resurrection for our sins, and that we can be reconciled to God through believing the gospel, what Jesus did to reconcile us to God, and repenting from us, turning from our sins and turning to God. And evangelism is a proclamation of that. It's what Jesus did to accomplish it. And witnessing is you telling another person what you have seen or experienced Jesus do. Witnessing is more about Jesus and you. For example, with my story, my life changed when I was about 20 years old. I became real serious about following Jesus. And you want to know why? Do you want to know why at 20 years old I decided to to quit doing certain things and started to kind of nerd out on the Bible And I was going to meetings where the Bible was being taught rather than than going out. Do you know why I did that? I will tell you, and many of you have heard me say this before, I don't know. I don't know. I I just became really, I I came really uncomfortable with my sin. And there was this this thing going on in my soul where I had this sense of, of the holiness of God. I really believed that there was a God and that he was holy. I had this sense of my own sin and I had this, I sort of had this abnormal fear of death, which really isn't all that abnormal. I mean, it's going to happen to all of us. And I remember thinking, like, if that happens to me, I'm not sure things will go well on the other side. And for some reason, I became haunted by God and my sin, and I couldn't get it quite right. And through a lot of things that was, that was happening externally to me, God changed my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so anyway, this is what Jesus wanted the apostles to do. Just share what you have seen me do, what I've accomplished in his life. And Jesus wanted this witnessing to happen on a local level and a global level. He says there uh, that he wants it to happen in Jerusalem and all over Israel. That's the, the, the south and the north, which is Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And it's interesting that Jesus says they will be witnesses he doesn't say, hey, if you, if you don't mind, would you mind please being a witness to me? He says, you will be witnesses. This is what will happen. They would be witnesses to the end of the earth and they were witnesses to the end of the earth. So hear this, Jesus is not counting on his people to get the message out. He's not counting on us. He's using us, but he's not counting on us. It's gonna happen. Jesus said in Matthew 18 that he will build the church. And and, and it's more of a prophecy than a command when he says to be my witnesses. And the church, the reality of the church is now it's gone global. So this did happen. And then there's a future of it where we're all gathered together. We get a a peek into the future in Revelation chapter 7. We get a peek into the future of what this will be like. Revelation 7 verse 9 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb so look the mission of the church is to be witnesses of jesus and the goal of the church is to witness jesus on the throne and to be co- collected together with people from different tribes and nations and tongues and singing together that salvation belongs to the God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So witnessing is our mission. It should be both local and global. Now let's change gears and consider what the context of that mission is. And it's the kingdom of God that is our context. So uh, you know, it's interesting to note here uh, in, the, in, the, in the first verses that Jesus was with the apostles, the disciples who became the apostles. For 40 days between resurrecting and and ascending into heaven. And the way that Luke describes his time with Jesus and the apostles was that he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And I think one difference between most Christians now and Jewish believers in Jesus's day is that they thought about the kingdom of God probably the way that we think about heaven. And, and I think in some ways, our understanding of heaven has eclipsed the kingdom of God for us in our, in our thinking. So when people talk about the gospel, they're most often talking uh, about how to get to heaven. And obviously, I don't, I don't want to pit against each other, the kingdom of God and heaven. But if the thoughts you think, when you think about heaven, are void of any thoughts about the kingdom of God, then your thinking about heaven is, is incomplete, it would be like taking your family or on a trip to Hawaii and all they talk about is the layover in Atlanta. Like, as great as the layover in Atlanta might be, it's not the final destination. And so let me explain. That might s- seem weird and that's probably a bad analogy because I'm comparing heaven to the Atlanta airport. But follow me. I'm talking about intermediate goals to final goals. So work with me here. All right. In, in Genesis 1, Adam tell, or God tells Adam to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, increase numerically. Then he tells them to fill the earth, or another way to put it, expand geographically. So God, before the fall, God is painting a picture, a picture for Adam of this global kingdom. And obviously this falls apart in Genesis chapter three, right? But but it's not over for good. So in the beginning, before the fall, God has this vision of a kingdom that he's creating on the earth, and it's, it's gonna increase numerically and fill the earth. All right, After the fall, there's Israel. Israel turns away from God. They go into uh, exile, and so they're in Babylon. And while they're in Babylon, he gives Daniel this vision. And And the way that Daniel got the vision was that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a dream, and no one could interpret it, but they brought Daniel in, and he was able to interpret the dream. And the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had was a statue with four parts. And this four parts, what happened in the dream, there's a statue with four parts a stone out of nowhere crushes it, and that stone grows into a mountain that fills all the earth. And Daniel was able to give the interpretation of what that dream meant. He said the four parts of the statue represent four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And that stone that was coming, represent, that stone was going to come, crash on the mountain, and it was going to grow into a mountain. become the, you know, That was the kingdom of God on earth. So Jesus was the stone, the mountain that fills the holy earth is the kingdom of God. So, so this is the, the Jewish expectation. I mean, if you can try to enter into the minds of the Jewish people when Jesus was coming, they were thinking not how do I go to heaven? They, they were thinking one, two, three, four. We're on the fourth kingdom here of Daniel's vision. The kingdom of God is about to come. It seems like Jesus is the one. It seems like he's the Messiah. We're, we're four kingdoms into this. The fifth kingdom is us. It's the kingdom of God. And so it makes sense what they ask in verse 6. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And and this is on the heels of Jesus spending 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. So in verse 6, he says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It made all the sense in the world for them to have that question. And it's just something to note that there is an expectation that had to do with a kingdom that we don't hear as much about in our day. And, and, and in some ways, I think heaven has eclipsed that. Look, let me be clear. I'm pro-heaven. The gospel, understanding the gospel message is what gets us to heaven. I mean, the, the, the belief in, in what Christ has done takes us away from God's judgment that would send us to hell, reconciled with God in heaven. But heaven is not our ultimate goal. It's the kingdom of God on earth. Now, the problem was that they were too focused on Israel and not the kingdom because the kingdom of God transcends Israel. But the kingdom spoken about in Daniel 2 had arrived, and the kingdom would increase numerically, and it would expand geographically going back to God's goal in Genesis chapter 1. And that's why he told them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the apostles did not seem as focused on how to get to heaven as they seemed focused on the kingdom of God on earth. And I think we might be a bit off. Is, is, I think we might be a bit off when we think about being saved. We think primarily about it only being in heaven. And I'm not sure that is how the early church saw it. And even when Jesus talked about being born again, he said this, and this is the famous verse in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again, according to Jesus, is about seeing the kingdom of God. He didn't say, unless one is born again, he can't get to heaven. He, said he can't see the kingdom of God. And there's something that we're missing when we're more focused on heaven and we've become blind to the idea of the kingdom of God here and what is to come in the kingdom of God. When people are born again, they are not just delivered from hell, they become citizens of the kingdom of God. Or another way to put it, they become citizens of an invisible world in the visible world. So when a person becomes a Christian, they become citizens of this invisible world that is growing inside of the visible world. And as witnesses of King Jesus, we impose the kingdom of God or we say the kingdom of heaven, on earth. And so part of our salvation is it's almost like a deposit uh, from heaven into the present. And so what we are wanting to do as Christians, because we're not just waiting for heaven, we're wanting to impose heaven on earth now. And that's why Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, you should pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we miss that, we miss heaven now that we're supposed to impose on the earth so when we become christians we become citizens of a kingdom and this happens not by christians or churches being persuasive or cool or trendy this happens by the power of the holy spirit this is my third point the 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 holy spirit is the power now it's interesting that jesus wanted his disciples the apostles to wait in verse 4 Tells them to wait. They didn't hit the ground running after the resurrection. Jesus stuck around for about 40 days teaching them about the kingdom. And he wanted them to wait until they were baptized with the Spirit. And that's because the apostles were insufficient without the power of the Holy Spirit. And if the apostles were insufficient without the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more so are we? And do you understand that no one becomes a Christian without the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit? If you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because you were raised in a good home. You're not a Christian because you made a good decision or you kind of grew up. The reason you're a Christian is because of a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 6 and 8. He says, "...that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit." Do not marvel that I said to you you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The only kind of Christians there are are Christians who have been born of the Spirit. It is not something that can be controlled. It's like the wind. It's not something that anyone can make happen. Listen to what John said in John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13. He says, he came to his own, speaking of Jesus, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We become children of God, born again, not by the work or will of any man, but is by the will and work of God alone. The only reason you are a Christian is because because God decided for you to be a Christian. That's the only reason any of us are Christians. You weren't raised right. You didn't make a good decision at a conference or a meeting. Something supernatural happened to your soul. And if you don't believe that, then you don't understand grace to the fullest extent. Then you have something you can boast about in your salvation. There's some reason you're better than somebody else because you made a better decision or your parents raised you right or whatever. But when you understand that it's the gospel, it's not by the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God, then you understand something supernatural happened to you and you might just find yourself thankful and joyful about the salvation that's yours because you know you didn't do a thing to earn it or deserve it. And that is how people are who are not yet Christians or born again will change. It is by the Spirit of God changing them, nothing else is going to do it. Not a persuasive talk, not a cool church, not a good message or anything. It's going to be the power of God. It is the Spirit of God that changes people, but this is cool. It is the glory of God to use fools like us to do it. People like us who trip over our words, whose lives just are kind of a mess, for insecure, anxious, we just don't we're not very polished, we don't quite have it together. And you know what it does? When when God uses fools like us to, to talk about the gospel, to be a witness, and 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 in light of that witness, somebody, something supernatural happens inside someone's heart. It gives glory to God. I mean, this is what while Paul said what he said in 2 Corinthians 4 7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so when we pray for people who are far from God, we don't just need to pray for them to understand the gospel. There's a lot of people that understand the gospel that have not been born again. And, and we certainly don't need to pray for just them to change their behavior, to grow up, quit acting like a fool. Actually, in some ways, we may should pray for things to get worse. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts in such a way that they would be born again by the Spirit of God into the kingdom of God, that God would, in a supernatural way, make them citizens of an invisible world that is located inside this visible world. And you do not get into the kingdom of God, you do not get into the kingdom of God unless you have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is not something you can deposit in someone else. It does not work that way. It is a supernatural act of God. If you're a Christian, there was something supernatural that happened to your soul. If anyone else is to become a Christian, something supernatural must happen to their soul. I don't care how good your apologetics are or how smooth of a life you are or how blessed you make yourself look. It's only going to be a supernatural act of God that's going to change someone, that makes someone born again. So witnessing is our mission The kingdom is our context. The Holy Spirit is the power. And finally, there's a timetable that we're operating under. And it's from the ascension to the return of Christ. And my fourth point is the ascension and return is our window. Uh, Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 says this. And we had said these things as they were looking on. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's important. A cloud took Jesus out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them <clears throat> in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I want to focus on two things in these verses here. First, I want to look at Jesus as a cloud rider. might seem random, it's not. Uh, and the second is his return. So Jesus as a cloud rider and his return. Uh, in verse 9, we see a cloud took Jesus out of their sight. And some might even say that the cloud was a chariot that took Jesus out of their sight. And I don't think they'd be wrong to say that it was a chariot that took Jesus out of their sight. Jesus referenced riding on a cloud in Matthew 26, verse 64. Jesus says this. He's, he's standing before the Jewish council. He's being accused of all these things. Uh, And what he says in verse 64 is what does it for him. When he says what he says in verse 64, they say, this guy's clearly committing blasphemy. And he said it on purpose. Jesus says this, I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. And here it is. This is what did it. Here's, Here's blasphemy coming on the clouds of heaven. He's saying, I'm a cloud rider. Now, when he said this, the Pharisees were able to accuse him of blasphemy Because he was making himself equal to God by implying that he was the cloud rider of Daniel chapter 7. So turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, we get, uh, again, this is Daniel in Babylon. This is, uh, God is giving Daniel a picture of what is to come. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, uh, we read this prophecy. And this is the prophecy that Jesus was quoting. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and the glory and the kingdom, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So he was coming with the clouds of heaven. He's riding on the cloud, and then he's given all authority and a kingdom. And if you can connect this to Matthew 28, because Jesus is, is the, the same kind of moment. Acts 1 and Matthew 28 really correspond together. And when Jesus gives the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations, he says, before he says that, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So Jesus ascending into heaven and riding a cloud As described in Daniel 7, and the two angels that see him said he was going to return the same way. And look, so the same way that Jesus rode off in the cloud, he's going to return on a cloud. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, we read this description of Jesus returning. And it says this shouldn't be a surprise. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. He's coming back the same way he left. And at the resurrection of the dead, do you know where we're going to meet Jesus? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. So this is Jesus returning. And how did the two men say that Jesus was going to return? The, the, The same way that he left. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together where? With them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Jesus left on a cloud. He's coming back on a cloud. And we will meet him there at the resurrection. And between the ascension, him leaving, and between him coming back, there is work to do in particular, to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and we need to live with that day of his return in mind. On that day, we will give an account of ourselves. On that day, there will be reward and loss. We need to live our lives with that day in mind. We will give an account of ourselves to God on that day. There will be rewards and the loss of rewards on that day. That day needs to impact what we do today. Martin Luther said he had two days on his calendar, that day and this day. So may God help us to experience Jesus and the gospel in such a way that we actually have something to be a witness about. That it's not just a set of propositions to believe, but it's something that's that's happened to our soul. And may we see ourselves as citizens of an invisible world, in the midst of this visible world, that we would really see ourselves as living in the kingdom. And may the Spirit of God do supernatural things in us and through us. So on that day, we are not ashamed, but hear King Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you have done in Christ and the gospel and the church. And in Acts 1, we read about the beginning of uh, your church coming together, the, the task that you gave the apostles uh, that is carried out now today with the church. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful. And I pray that you would do supernatural things in us uh, and, and through us, and that the power of the Spirit would be made known to those who hear the gospel, uh, and that you would work in their lives, and that you would use our church uh, to be witnesses of Jesus, both locally and globally. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, amen.